This time we turn to the word of the Lord and we're going to read the familiar account that we find in Acts chapter 2 of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place at Pentecost. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 36. On page 1692, for those of you who have the Bible that's in the pews here at the church. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1, and I'll be reading fairly long section all the way through verse 36, though our focus will be primarily on verses 1 through 4. Listen now to this word the Lord speaks to us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he, he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing of his word this morning. Notice again the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Dear friends, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the event of Pentecost is among a number of events in the course of redemptive history that the church historically takes the occasion to recall and to remember. And the thing about Pentecost is it is the first great act, event, subsequent to our Lord's death upon the cross, resurrection on the third day, 50 days later, Pentecost means 50, 50 days after the Lord's Day, following the celebration of Passover, the traditional Feast of Weeks, that our Lord came in the power and presence of His Spirit, even as the Father had promised. And in the previous chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Acts, we're told that Jesus had reminded His disciples that they should wait because upon his ascension there would come upon them the Spirit who would be the one who would grant them the power to be his witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and then in Judea and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now the thing that I want us to particularly remember is that this is not something that is repeated it's a singular event. Just as the Lord was crucified but once, raised on the third day, the first fruits of those who sleep, ascended into heaven after 40 days, so the Lord acted in a decisive, definitive way in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the granting of the spirit of Pentecost. Now, I like to say to my students when I teach the course on the doctrine or the teaching of Scripture regarding the person and work of the Holy Spirit that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of this event, and I don't say this tongue-in-cheek, maybe I say it a little bit to be provocative, is a Pentecostal church. No church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Covenant since this event took place, 
is a church absent the power and presence and the acting of Christ through the Spirit that took place on this Lord's Day and every Lord's Day since. If I was to draw an analogy, I would say to you the outpouring of the Spirit, the granting, gifting, once and for all, in the event we call Pentecost, it's a little bit like a birthday. Now, you know, some of you know, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has by His Spirit and Word been busy ever since our fall into sin, since Adam's transgression, gathering, defending, and preserving for Himself a people chosen unto everlasting life by His, what? Spirit and Word. Now, one has to be a little careful here. It isn't that the Spirit wasn't present prior to Pentecost. But the point I want to make to you is that in terms of its new covenant identity, since Pentecost has taken place, everything that belongs to the life and the ministry of the word of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ ever since takes place by virtue of what transpired on Pentecost. In that sense, it's like a birthday. You all know that you're born but once. You are not born, at least physically, more than one time. But everything that is true of you in your whole life, from childhood to adulthood to advanced age maturity, is in consequence of, and that's why you remember the event on the day you call your birthday. It's the event that gives you life, that gives you existence, in consequence of which you are the person you are. Something like that can be said of Pentecost. The church has no other identity, does nothing in the power and presence and through the ministry of the Word, but in the power and presence of the Spirit who was given to her on the day of Pentecost. Now, there are three things I would like us to notice, particularly in the familiar account that we're given in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2 regarding the event itself. What happened? And it's a pretty dramatic event. I want to begin there. Notice the manner. My three points are the manner of the spirits being given, the marks that characterize the Spirit who is given, and then lastly, the methodology. What happened? How was the Spirit's manifest presence evidenced? What were the effects of the church being gifted with the Holy Spirit? And as we'll see, quite simply, a powerful witness is given to the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified according to God's purpose, raised on the third day, now ascended to God's right hand such that he has become Lord in Christ. The gospel was preached. But back to the first point, the manner of the spirits being outpoured. When the day of Pentecost came, it says they were all together in one place. The all together we know from the first chapter was approximately 120 members, the nucleus of the New Covenant church community that was waiting 
as the Lord had told them they should wait until his promise, the promise of the Father, would be fulfilled. So there they are, meeting together, gathered together. Commentators differ as to where they were gathered, perhaps in the temple court, uh, in expectation, in eager anticipation. They were all together in one place, and then says Luke, suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, or you could even render it tongues as of fire. They looked and had similarity to, not literally fire, but as of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I have three subpoints in terms of the manner of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Notice the adverb suddenly and the prepositional phrase from heaven. This was an act of God the Father through Christ the exalted Lord in concert where there is given to the church. A theologian whom I respect says the Spirit was given under the principle of universal donation. This is an act of God's sovereign grace, an act of God's initiative. He comes to us, not we to Him. They didn't climb their way up to heaven. They didn't do anything that would be the explanation for what transpired. God is acting in fulfillment of his promise and in sovereign power and in undeserved grace comes to his church in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I can't help but say, just as an aside, there is in that a reminder to all of us that the work of redemption, the work of the church in the gathering of the nations to Christ, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that again and again, is the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a missionary God who will not fail of his purpose because he assumes responsibility to empower the church for it. There's another thing to notice. This is not an event, as I suggested to you a moment ago, that happens again and again. It has, you might say, reverberation in consequence of what happened at Pentecost. Everything that happens thereafter within the life and ministry of the church is on account of the spirits being given to the church. It's a definitive event. It defines the church ever since. It's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we have all been baptized by the Spirit into one body. We've all been made to drink of one Spirit. The church in Corinth, the church in uh, South Holland, Illinois, the church where I worship in 
St. John, Indiana, the whole church everywhere and throughout all time is now a church gifted definitively by the Spirit. That's why when Peter preaches his sermon, he reminds his audience of what's taken place. He says this is in fulfillment of what the prophet Joel prophesied many centuries before, that in the last days, that too is, by the way, a very significant biblical theme. We live in the last days. My little children, it's the last hour. We live in the day of fulfillment, a day when we've been richly graced by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by now His coming to us and dwelling among us by His Holy Spirit. Just as the author of Hebrews says, in times past God spoke to His people in diverse ways and manners. He has now in these last days, in these days, between Christ's ascension and His coming again upon the clouds of heaven, even as He promised, we are a church that lives out of and in consequence of what took place at Pentecost. One last thing in terms of its manner. It's not only sudden, signaling God's sovereign, gracious initiative in fulfilling His promise. It's not only definitive, a defining event that colors all of the history of the church's ministry ever since. It's also universal. The accent and emphasis in the account of what took place and in Peter's sermon is that there is a wide bestowal and granting. Young men and old men, young women and old women, all who were there present without exception. Notice all of the alls, especially verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you may say to me, well, that's all rather straightforward. I knew that. So why are you bothering? It's typical of preachers to tell me the obvious. I, I could have known that. Let's move on to the second point. Well, we live in an age, brothers and sisters, where there is within the church a predominant emphasis upon a being baptized with the Holy Spirit, a being filled with the Holy Spirit that is the experience and circumstance of some within the body of Christ, but not all. Some people will say, well, there are some who are not spirit-baptized among those who belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have the fullness and power of the Spirit's presence working in their lives. Well, you won't find any evidence in this account or in the accounts throughout the book of Acts for the notion that any Jewish person, any Gentile person, any male, any female any older, younger, by way of distinction, is not included and a beneficiary. By the way, that can actually be the occasion for some of us to be spiritually lethargic and slothful. I haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I don't enjoy that filling with the Spirit, and that's why I'm a little humdrum in my Christian walk and a little slow of step and uh, rather indifferent 
to my calling to use my gifts in service to the Lord. No, what is remarkable about the manner of the Holy Spirit's being granted to the church is that it's God's sovereign, gracious action and fulfillment of His promise, and it has consequence and implication for everyone, without exception, who is genuinely baptized in the Spirit into Christ. The second thing I said is notice there are marks, characteristic signs that accompany. This too is well known to you. They're two in number. They here were told by the, uh, the Apostle Luke, or by Luke, they hear a sound like the blowing of a violent wind coming from heaven and filling the whole house where they were sitting. The first mark is this sound of a mighty blowing wind. You can't help but remember the account of our Lord in John 3 where he speaks of the Spirit and he uses playing on the word itself, Spirit, where the wind blows, you hear the sound of it, but you don't see it. But when it blows, you experience its effects. You see, one of the great themes in Scripture regarding the Spirit of God is that the Spirit is a life-giving Spirit. The Spirit is one who energizes and gives empowerment for that to which God calls us. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, when he speaks of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the words he uses, gifts distributed by the Spirit, given to the whole body and individually to her members, he refers to the Spirit as God's energy. Another illustration, by the way, I'm busy these days in the book of Revelation. You have that interesting expression again and again, the sevenfold spirit. There's a well-known hymn in which the language is used of the sevenfold energy of the creator spirit. You recall at creation when God gave life to Adam, whom he formed from the dust of the ground. He breathed into him such that he became a living being in soul body to serve and worship and uh, seek the things that God had entrusted to him. Can't help but mention this because I had some of the grandchildren over last night, uh, three of them in particular, all girls, two four years of age, one two years of age, and it was like a blowing of the wind. Grandpa and Grandma were all but over, bowled over, literally. They come running, all three, jabbering, yelling, all at the same time, talking over each other. And the house gave every impression this morning when we woke up that some kind of little tornado had blown through the house. There was energy in abundance. You know, as you get older, uh, you begin to flag in zeal and energy. Well, what I'm interested in pointing out here is that this mark, don't get lost in speculation about how it sounded or can't even begin to say anything about what it looked like. It was not something seen. It was something heard. 
But where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there you find people empowered, enlivened, energized. Paul can even say remarkably that even though outwardly as we grow older in this body of our humiliation, we experience many troubles and this tent of ours begins to tatter at the edges inwardly by the indwelling presence of Christ's Spirit, His enlivening, life-giving Spirit, we are being renewed day by day so that the lifeblood and energy that is manifested by the working of Christ in His Spirit, through the Spirit, whom He gives to the church, is the only thing that can empower the church for her calling. But now notice, in association with that sign or mark, there's a second. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. You may recall that in the Gospels, that when our Lord was baptized with John's baptism with water, John prophesied that he who was greater than him whose sandals he was unworthy to tie, would baptize with what? Not only with water, but also repeatedly in all three synoptic gospels, the language is with fire. Now, what is this fire? It recalls a passage like that, and there are others in the Old Testament where the prophet Malachi says, when the Lord comes to his temple, he will be like a refiner's fire. And what's the image? It's the image of harvest. It recalls the festival at which this event took place, which was the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest festival. It was a festival when the people of Israel would come to Jerusalem and present to God the first fruits of the wheat and barley harvest. And if you know anything about the harvest, you know that the fire is a symbol of the sifting out of the wheat from the chaff. The coming in not only grace, but also in distinction, separation between those who are brought in as the ones reaped in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, gathered to God in this great age, this day of harvest. That's a big theme in Scripture. Our Lord speaks of the nations as like a harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. You should pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out into his field those who would bring in the harvest. So it's an image that signals that the Spirit is not only the one who empowers, energizes, strengthens for witness... But his witness is the means whereby God, Christ, given all authority in heaven and on earth, is reaping his rightful inheritance, harvesting all those from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who belong to him. One last thing. It may be the most obvious thing, but perhaps most quickly missed. You may have been thinking earlier 
Well, Dr. Venom is reading a very long passage, including that whole sermon preached by Peter among the eleven, one of the apostles, uh, that great gospel message. And maybe we didn't need that. We could have just had verses 1 through 4. It might have shortened up the service, maybe even the sermon. We always live in hope. But I read it for a reason. What happened at Pentecost? What was enduring in consequence of Pentecost? The Spirit, through Christ's apostle Peter and the other apostles and prophets of the New Covenant, declared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom come of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was a rich harvest, 3,000 souls, and we're told in the church in Jerusalem and beyond, the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. I'm reminded in this context of an interesting analogy that J.I. Packer uses for the Holy Spirit. There's something mysterious about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And part of that mystery is he comes not to call attention to himself. He certainly doesn't come to give to some believers an exceptional, extraordinary giftedness that will place them at a higher level form of spirituality than other Christians. He comes to give glory to Jesus Christ to empower the church as she goes out among all the nations and peoples of the earth to reap the harvest through, of all things, a word concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching, proclaiming, teaching. And not only by those who are ordained to the office of preacher and, and uh, proclaiming, but the whole church is emboldened in her testimony by the power of and working of the Holy Spirit. So that whenever the church gathers, whenever the gospel word like today is being preached here and in pulpits and fields and houses and you name it, wherever, in secret and in fear, it is a powerful testimony regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. But the image, I didn't get to it, of J.I. Packer is think of a spotlight. What does a spotlight do? It draws your attention away from itself. You don't look at the spotlight. You look at what the spotlight gives you to see, brings out in all of its, hopefully, beauty and wonder. It causes you to cast your eye toward that upon which the spotlight is focused. What that means is that a Pentecostal church, and there is no other kind of church, is marked and demonstrates its authenticity. If it is found in season and out of season, doing what Christ by the Spirit did then and continues to do until the harvest has been reaped. And the day come and the church made ready for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Now that should be an encouragement to us. Are we ever discouraged? You never wonder about the power of that word of the gospel that to some is foolishness and to others weakness, that it's not bearing fruit, it won't bear fruit, it will not achieve the purpose for which God sends it forth. 
This is the reason Pentecost is for God's people always the call to joyful, confident ministry. God, Christ, through His Spirit, will not fail to gather in every one of those by the Spirit and the fire who belong to the harvest that He is gathering to and for Himself. Praise God for the outpoured Spirit of Pentecost. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us never to forget and to carry out the work to which you've called us, always in the confidence that it is done in the power and presence of Christ's Spirit, the Spirit and fire, who will not fail of their purpose, who will reap for themselves and gather to you a people without number, that as the gospel is preached here and throughout all the world, that there will be a great and rich response by virtue of the Holy Spirit who attends and gives all praise and glory to Christ and His kingdom come in all of the church's preaching and teaching. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.